Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 as we conclude today the series, The Third Person. The Third Person. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Paul the Apostle says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, he's talking about the old covenant, the law of Moses, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily, someone say steadily, At the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? How will it not be? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. I want to teach a message today titled, The Ministry of the Spirit. The Ministry of the Spirit. Before I do, I want to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your gospel, your good news. It's been revealed through the person of Jesus. We thank you for his blood, for establishing a new covenant. And it's on the ground of that new covenant, Lord, that we can receive your divine help, the divine influencer, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would be glorified and revealed. We ask, Holy Spirit, for your supernatural work in hearts and minds and lives today. I yield to you. Make much of Jesus in and through this community. Have your way. We acknowledge our need of you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we talk about the ministry of the Spirit, first, let's be clear, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what spirit we are talking about. The Holy Spirit of God. But when we talk about the subject and the topic of the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of of the Holy Spirit, we're really looking at the issue of sufficiency. Sufficiency. Now, oftentimes, if you've been around here for a while, maybe you've seen a different presentation, or let me put it this way, a different style of communication, preaching and teaching from Sunday to Sunday. Sometimes we're a little more bold and direct. Other times were a little more laid back, a little more laughter. And oftentimes it's a matter of what subject we're dealing with. See, never forget that Scripture highlights that to the shrewd, God will be shrewd. 
but to the humble he gives more grace. Meaning oftentimes in Western Christianity or in America, a lot of religious or churchgoers are in a posture of pride and self-sufficiency. And therefore God needs sort of a rebuke, an awakening to you and I to expose the fact that we're actually not doing as good as we think we are and we're actually not as sufficient as we believe we are because God wants us to come to depend and recognize the ministry of the Spirit which is an issue of sufficiency. Number one on your card, just simply put, is self-sufficiency is no sufficiency to build upon. Self-sufficiency is no sufficiency to build upon. Now it may look sufficient. It may feel sufficient at times. It may temporarily seem to be sufficient or successful. But nonetheless, it's building upon sand according to Jesus when he talked about the culture of his kingdom and the culture of his community of followers. He said... To build upon self-sufficiency is to build upon sand. And you can build upon sand in a way that it looks for a period to be sufficient or successful. But rain or a certain context and circumstance will expose that self-sufficiency is no sufficiency to build upon. It will not stand. It will not last. Secondly, this means we need the sufficiency of God. And the good news about God is, is God knows us better than we know us. God knows the state of humanity better than humanity knows the state of humanity. God knows our need more than you and I actually know our need. And this is why when the gospel is talked about in scripture and by God... It's not called the bad declaration of God. It's called the good news of God. Gospel means there's a heralding of good news. And the good news is, is God knows. And because God knows, He's provided sufficiency for you and I. He hasn't left us in our insufficiency. He hasn't left us in a state where we have to build upon that which temporarily looks sufficient, looks successful, but is not and is vulnerable to certain circumstances and contexts to be exposed as insufficient. And when we talk about the sufficiency that God has provided, we have to talk about the person, His elect one, the one He sent, His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone and the foundation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Secondly, God has provided sufficiency through the Spirit of God. And notice in our text in 2 Corinthians 3, it said that in the Old Covenant, the way God set up the Old Covenant is it, didn't enable people to be able to look steadily at the one who was the mediator of that covenant. Israel, under the old covenant, was unable to look steadily upon the face of Jesus. But Paul says, 
how much more glorious is the new covenant? Meaning, the new covenant and the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit enables us to be able to look steadily upon the mediator of the new covenant. Oh, this gets me excited. Because the mediator of the new covenant is Jesus Christ, the foundation and the sufficiency of God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower and enable us to keep our eyes fixed steadily upon Jesus Christ. That when culture is raging and waves are raging and circumstances are raging and my emotions are raging and people around me are raging, God has provided a sufficiency, the helper, the Holy Spirit to empower and enable us to keep our eyes steadily upon Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about up front. The example of my brother Peter. Now oftentimes our brother, he gets a bad rap. But listen, your beginning don't have to determine the end rap of your life. Peter, when we look at him in the Gospels and following Jesus, we see a man that's like many men we know. We see one who outwardly shows physical demonstration. He was a fisherman. That means he was uh, strong. He was in shape. He was what oftentimes would be referred to as a man's man. He knew how to toil. He knew how to work. He knew how to work long hours. He knew how to do what it takes to get the job done, how to clean the nets and fish the nets. And here is a man who was outwardly vocal, and boisterous, and you find him repeatedly in moments of engaging with Jesus and circumstances that Jesus brings him into, demonstrating fleshly confidence. It appears to be confidence. It appears to be a man that's secure. It appears to be a man that has a healthy foundation, but what we find out through the length of the story is that it's actually fleshly or self-confidence. How do we know this? Because we find him three times denying the Lord. Here was a man who in his fleshly confidence say, I will never deny the Lord. But the Lord saw what God has seen. He knows our state. He knows your state. He knows my state. He knows our vulnerabilities. And he's not left us helpless. But we see in the life of Peter this illustration of it. Here he is fleshly confident that his life is built upon a solid foundation and and he has enough self-sufficiency and strength. Yet he denies the Lord three times. What's interesting, when you go read two of the times, do you know who provoked his denial? A little girl. There's nothing more exposing the lie of self-sufficiency than a man's man or a life that says I am sufficient and I'm built upon what I think is sufficient but it's fleshly confidence getting exposed by a little servant girl asking the question, aren't you one of his followers? It shows... That self-sufficiency isn't a sufficiency to build upon. 
And yet, watch this, then months later, because the story didn't end there. Months later, we see the same man, except this time he's standing up and he's looking at leaders in the community, leaders of the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, and also you got to understand that in the nation of Israel... Uh, legality matters were intertwined with religious matters. So he's speaking, in a sense, to politicians. He's speaking to religious leaders. He's speaking to the elders and the scribes and the high priests. And he looks at them and unashamedly and boldly says, You killed the prince of life. The one that was foretold for thousands of years, the Messiah. You have killed him and given him over to the hands of of the Gentiles. In Acts 4, 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, elders of Israel, what do you see? You see a man who was self-sufficient and denied the Lord three times, two times being provoked by a servant girl, a young girl. Then months later, he's telling people who killed the Prince of Life, the Messiah, you killed him. You are responsible. You need to repent. God's holding you accountable. What's the difference? The difference is the issue of sufficiency. You see in the beginning self-sufficiency. Here you see a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit who now is empowered by God's sufficiency. Hallelujah. And that same ministry, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is available for you and I today that we can move in multiple areas of our life from self-sufficiency to spirit sufficiency. Hallelujah. So the ministry of the Spirit was the difference in sufficiency. It was the difference in His responses. It was the difference in His actions in the circumstances. Now let me talk number three real quick about on the ground. On the ground. When it comes to you and I, there are multiple issues of life, right? You have your relationships. You have what about a job and career. You have finances. We have emotional stability. We have choices. We have the issues of wisdom and relating to culture. We have all these issues of the affairs of life. And when we think about the different issues of the affairs of life, we got to think about what is that issue grounded upon? What is my relationships grounded upon? On what ground are these issues and areas of my life built upon? Because if they're built upon self-sufficiency, watch this, even if I've never been in a context to reveal the vulnerability of self-sufficiency, it's still vulnerable. See, Peter, even though he had never been in a place to expose the vulnerability, he still was vulnerable. Because self-sufficiency is no sufficiency to build upon. And Paul, this brings us back to our text. He says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? What is the ground that you and I are seeking to move forward upon? For you and I to move forward in God's will and experiencing God's will in different areas of our life... On what ground is our hope, our confidence, our trust upon to move forward in that area? In that area. Paul says that the ministry of the Spirit, will it not be more glorious? If the ministry of condemnation, the old covenant had glory, will the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory? Now, I don't know if you caught it, but here's what he's equating. He's saying the new covenant 
The ministry of the Spirit is synonymous with the ministry of righteousness. Righteousness and the ministry of the Holy Spirit have kissed in the biblical language of the Proverbs. They have come together. The ministry of the Spirit is synonymous with the ministry of righteousness. Let me explain it this way. In Galatians 3, 10 through 14, Paul finds churches in Galatia and they're fighting and they're facing what a lot of us in America have been facing for years. And what we're talking about today, they're fighting the issue of sufficiency. They're fighting the issue on what ground shall I move forward in experiencing the will of God for my life? On what ground am I hoping in, trusting in, looking to, to mature and to grow into all that God has and desires for me? And he says in Galatians 3 verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. Someone say all things. Which are written in the book of the law, the old covenant, to do them. Verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing. Christ has done something. Christ has accomplished something. God the Father has acted and culminated in Christ's finished work something that now we can experience and can come upon us. He says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The just shall live by faith so that the blessing can come upon them. What's he saying? What Paul said in Corinthians that the ministry of righteousness is connected to the ministry of the Spirit. That it's because of the righteous blood of Jesus upon that ground, the Holy Spirit's empowerment can come. Now why is this important? Because so many of us are seeking to get the Holy Spirit to empower us in areas of life but we think it's based upon the ground of our own works. We think that if we're good enough, then we will be in a, on the ground for the Holy Spirit to then empower us. We think if we toll enough and work hard enough, then the Holy Spirit can then come upon and empower us. And that's not how the new covenant works. In order to move forward and experiencing God's will in an area, you got to ask yourself, on what ground can the empowerment come? And it's on the ground as Jesus' righteous blood. Jesus being the right standing for you and I with God the Creator. It's only on the ground of Jesus as righteousness that the blessing, the empowerment, the promise of the Holy Spirit can come upon that area of my life. 
I can trace failures and struggles in my life of trying to move forward in the will of God because I am basing the empowerment and the favor of God to come upon that area on the ground of my own self-sufficiency. And it's not on my own self-sufficiency that the Holy Spirit's sufficiency comes. It's on the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus that then the Holy Spirit's sufficiency comes. So when I look at my area of finances, if I'm trying to get supernatural empowerment in favor upon my finances, i got to ask myself, on what ground am I trusting in? If I'm just trusting in my hard work, if I'm trusting in just my long hours, if I'm trusting in just being diligent, then that doesn't allow the enablement, the blessing, the Holy Spirit to come. But if I'll trust on the ground of Jesus' blood, then the Holy Spirit can come and enable and empower me to experience God's will in that area. And see, this is where it hits you and I because we have some good cultural things about hard work and opportunity and things in this country but it's robbing believers who's trying to just build a supernatural life in ways that even those that ain't saved can build upon. I'm not against hard work but what I'm trying to tell you is is God's got supernatural empowerment for God's people. That's not on the ground of our hard work. It's on the ground of Jesus' hard work. That there's a difference of getting things just based on principles and getting things based on the promise of empowerment in our life. God has supernatural empowerment for every area of our life, but it's only based upon the ground of Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' blood. The blessing comes upon the ground of Jesus' righteousness. This was the Old Testament type. That there was the blood of the lamb and the blood of the offerings that would be applied on something. And then and only then could the oil be applied. You can't get the oil applied until the blood is applied. I can't get the help I need in parenting until I first let the blood be applied so that then the oil and the help of the helper can be applied. But when I'm trying and believing that God is looking to me and my self-sufficiency to become a better parent, I'm not on the ground for the empowerment to be able to come. And so I'm there and I might be trying to do harder and trying to move forward and I'm focused on it more, but I'm not on the right ground for the empowerment to come. God needs me to do what Paul said, to live by faith. Faith that Jesus' blood is the only ground for the empowerment to come. And this is the gospel of God for every area of life. It's blood then oil. The just shall live by faith so that the blessing might come. See, listen. Proverbs 14, 23 makes it very clear. In all labor, there's profit. But not all who labor have the profit of the promised blessing. Listen. In all labor, there's profit. 
but not all who labor have the benefit of the empowerment of the blessing and the Spirit upon their labor. What I'm trying to tell you, if you have what you consider a nice life building upon just biblical principles, but without the empowerment of God's Spirit upon your work, what could God do in your life, in your work, in this community, if we had a nice life building upon just natural biblical principles to move to a supernatural life built upon Jesus' ground. Man, what could God do? Wow. You remember last week when we talked about the invisible influencer? We looked at Galatians 5.25 where Paul says, Walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. How do you walk in step with the Spirit? Well, it's all based on the ground. I had my, my apprentice, Alexa, help preach today. She made these crosses. It's only where the cross is applied that the blessing and the empowerment can come. So the, whatever area of life I'm needing help for, It's only when I live by faith that the blood is sufficient to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon that area. So in my parenting, if I'm on the ground of depending upon my own strength, my own wisdom, my own ability, my own upbringing for the empowerment to come, I'm not on the right ground. But when the Lord sees that I'm on the ground of Jesus' blood, It's an absolute magnet now for the Holy Spirit empowerment to come because it's based upon the ground of Jesus, His righteousness, His perfect work, and His blood. It's the same when it comes to finances. Some of you trying to figure it out, but you're not on the right ground. You're trying to figure out in your own understanding. It's only on the ground of the blood of Jesus that then you're in the place where the power of the Holy Spirit can come. Some of us in our marriage, we're trying to get the breakthrough, but we're not on the right ground to be able to move forward. We're on self-sufficiency. No, no, no. It's only on the ground of the cross that, boom, the Holy Spirit can come and help. Some of you, you're trying to witness to people. You've been praying for family so long, and you're looking, but it's on the wrong ground. You're depending on your self-sufficiency to convict them, to see the breakthrough. It's only on the ground of Jesus' blood that then the Holy Spirit, boom, empowerment can come. On the ground. On the ground. Get the cross. Let it be the foundation and the ground for every area of life. Because there the blessing, the promise, the Holy Spirit can come. Can come. Now let me talk briefly about number four, religious rejection. This is the gospel, but you see there's a pattern, unfortunately, throughout Scripture of religious rejection to this reality. The religious rejected the chief cornerstone. They rejected the Christ. In Acts 4.11, Peter tells them, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. The religious of Jesus' day rejected Jesus, the very foundation and sufficiency that God provided for them in order to build a life that was sufficient, established, and lasting. 
Not only did they reject Jesus, the Messiah, but they reject the Spirit's ministry. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one? of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Notice that. They reject Jesus, the chief cornerstone and foundation of God's sufficiency. They reject the sufficiency of God, the helper, the Holy Spirit's ministry. And the question becomes, why? You ready? Because they wanted to stay in control. Whether we recognize it or not, the Israelites could have the law of Moses. They could have the scrolls with the law written on it and still stay in control of their life. But they could not control what God spoke through the Old Testament prophets, so they persecuted and killed many of them. They rejected the call of dying to their own life of control and to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Likewise, in the days of Jesus on the earth, the religious could claim God as their father, they could have the scriptures, but stay in control. Watch this. But they could not control Jesus, a living person. So they persecuted him and ultimately killed him. You ready? Today, people can believe in God, believe that God is a father, believe that Jesus was God's son, have and study the Bible, but stay in control of their life. Because people can think about the Father and think about Jesus, that He's way up there somewhere. And because He's way up there somewhere, they still feel that they can stay in control right here. That they can determine when to read Scripture, when not to read Scripture. They can determine what Scriptures to believe in, what Scriptures not to. They can stay in control. Religion has no problem with that kind of Christianity of staying in control. Your personality can stay in control, but it's building upon the flesh, and you're vulnerable. Your ego can stay in control, that's building upon flesh, you're vulnerable. Your desires can stay in control, but that's just the flesh, you're vulnerable. You can dictate who your friends are, and stay in control, but you're still vulnerable. It's the flesh. Now listen, this gives us insight on why the ministry of the Spirit today is resisted. The Holy Spirit is alive and on the earth, and He cannot be controlled. I thought about really doing it today, but as you can see, I was already pretty excited about this sermon. And uh, so I didn't want us to get too excited with too many illustrations. But I thought about having a volunteer. Probably would have chose someone from the back because we normally do the front. But now, where your assignment was to come and I pour this oil into your hands and you were to not allow any to drip to demonstrate that you could control the oil. The problem is you can't control oil. And the Bible talks about the ministry of God's Spirit like oil. And it's foolish to try to grasp with the hand the oil of God, thinking that we can control the Spirit of God. But this is why the Spirit's ministry is so rejected. Just like it was rejected by the religious in the Old Covenant, just like it was rejected 
by the religious of Jesus' day, it's rejected. The Holy Spirit, the oil of God is rejected today because we cannot control the Spirit of God. We cannot grasp with our hand the oil of God. So religion's fine to accept much, but it will not accept the one active member of the Godhead whose ministry is primary under the new covenant on the earth today. Did you ever see that it's, it, the scripture in Genesis shows God as creator and in the seventh day, what did he do? He rested, showed the sense that his work, he accomplished his work. Jesus, after he rose from the dead and then he ascended as Acts 1, then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father demonstrating what a sense that his role in ministry in, in the Godhead's plan was finished. And then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, meaning the person of the Godhead that's primary and active in the new covenant is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. So the question we have to ask, number five, is under who's leading? When I think about my life, i got to say, under who's leading is this area of my life? Look at Ephesians 5 and 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ain't that good news to know that there is a will of God? That we're not left to ourselves to try to create it or come up with it or figure it out? Verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, I have some examples and some experiential knowledge on what drunkenness looks like. And what happens is, is you become led by that which what you're filled with. Let me help some of you young people out. There ain't nothing there for you. People that you would never think were attractive become attractive. <laughs> there are dangers. There are dangers all around. All around. You think you can make certain length of jumps that you have no chance of making. Proverbs 20 and 1 says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Watch this. Here's the point I want to make out of that scripture. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Notice what it says. When you get filled with that substance, filled with it, you become led by it. And this is what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5.17. If you get filled with the substance of God, the Holy Spirit, then you'll be led by the Spirit. So under whose leading am I? Self-sufficiency or the Spirit's sufficiency? Because look at 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Paul says, do not quench. Everybody say quench. Do not quench the Spirit. Another way to translate that actually is do not quench the Spirit's ministry. Now what does quench mean? It means to extinguish like to extinguish fire or things on fire. To be quenched or to go out. It means to stifle or suppress divine influence. Now watch this. If I suppress divine influence, what's the primary influence that I'm left with? Flesh, my natural influence. 
Now I'm led. Whose influence am I being led upon in life? My own. Because I'm suppressing the divine influence, the divine helper, the invisible influence, the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. You ever heard people say, stay on fire for God? Right? You need to stay on fire for God. And there's an aspect of that's true, but here's the good news. I don't have to stay on fire for God. Because when I say, stay on fire for God, you make you the subject. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to stay on fire. But when I suppress and quench the Spirit... I'm suppressing the helper who keeps us on fire. It's the Holy Spirit's role to keep us on fire. It's my role not to quench and suppress the Holy Spirit who will keep us on fire. This is why you see brothers and sisters start off strong, but then they begin to wane. Because they begin to suppress and quench the Spirit's ministry. And it's the Holy Spirit who God has given to enable us to stay on fire. Now, why would someone quench the divine influence, the divine power enablement, the promise of the Father? Oftentimes fearful. But why are they fearful? Paul speaks to this. He says, listen, if you've liked outward principles, like, even biblical principles, like hard work and like, you know, don't lie and don't cheat. If you've liked outward standards of morality, see, that's similar to the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant was written upon stones outward. It could tell you what to do and what not to do, but it couldn't empower you to do it. Meaning, for you to obey the law, it was up to your self-sufficiency. That's why there was a curse on the old covenant because if you didn't do all of it you were cursed but Jesus came and he took that curse so that on the ground of his blood and righteousness we could get divine influence and the divine influence or the Holy Spirit to empower us in all areas of life to experience God's will and Paul says how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious if you've seen by obeying some biblical principles some good that showed up in your life, how much more is the ministry of the Spirit going to be glorious in your life? Oftentimes, people are fearful, though, because they've seen the abuse. They've seen people abuse and try to throw the God card or the God label on what was just their ambitions or flesh or their desires and try to attribute to the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, people are fearful because they've looked at the false. They've looked at the extremes. And it's left the wrong taste. But I want to tell you, Paul says to you, how much more glorious, how much better taste is the true ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things, hold fast what is good. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Here's why some of you are fearful. You think opening up your life to the full role and ministry of the Holy Spirit does not require... Or, or you think if I open up my life to the full role and ministry of the Holy Spirit that it requires you to disengage your mind. Some of you are fearful of opening up your life more to the 
ministry of the Holy Spirit because you think if you do that, then you have to shut out from your life the ability to critique and evaluate what's taking place. And that's not true. Notice what he says. Right after saying, don't quench the Spirit's ministry, keep yourself open and yielded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, test all things, hold fast what is good. Meaning, we don't have to turn off our minds. We don't have to lose the ability to critique. So don't be fearful that if you open up your life to the Spirit that you aren't able to test what's happening in the community and other brothers and sisters in your own life. No, you still can use biblical logic and the logic God gave you as submitted to Scripture. You can still test all things. How do you test all things? Scripture, the rightly dividing Scripture. Here's another way, James 3, the fruit of it. The fruit. Biblical wisdom leads to certain fruit. And then here's the other way. Who gets the glory? Because when the Spirit moves, Jesus is going to keep getting the glory. He's going to keep getting the spotlight. Not the individual, Jesus. Now when I think about the word quench, I think about someone who thinks like this. That there's a substance available in life And they're not totally against the substance. And so they take a a drink of the substance. And they're okay and fine. and They're willing at times to talk about the substance. But they believe that one drink is enough. See, another way to quench the Spirit is to treat the Spirit as if just one drink is enough that the Spirit doesn't have more ministry that's relevant for your life today. I don't know about you, but I've had a sip and a drink of water before, like I just did, but I don't live the rest of my life as if that one drink was sufficient. To live and believe that way would be equivalent of quenching the Spirit. And so people often, they get hung up. They want to fight over, well, what happened at salvation? Did I get the Spirit? Is the Spirit next to me, with me, in me, around me? And that listen, that's good theologically, and we believe in good theology. But at the end of the day, you know what matters? Are you quenching the ministry of the Holy Spirit now or not? Do you still see yourself in need of more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the divine influencer for life? Are you quenching, satisfied? This leads us lastly, Abraham, if you'll come, to our walk and witness. To our walk and witness. If we quench the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it will affect our walk and our witness. If we do not quench the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it will enhance our walk and our witness. Now, if you weren't here last week, you can go back on and listen, but I I dealt last week a lot with the walk, our walk. But let me talk a moment about the witness. In 2 Thessalonians 5.20, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, do not despise prophecies. That's another way he's saying what quenching the Spirit looks like. Another way of quenching the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to despise prophecies. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit on the ground of Jesus' blood and righteousness and new covenant that was established by the shedding of His blood and the breaking of His body, on that ground, the Holy Spirit is still stirring 
God's people, followers of Jesus, to prophesy. To help up, build up, and stir up one another in the things of God and God's will for their life. And Paul says, don't despise prophecies. To despise prophecies is to quench the Spirit. To despise prophecies, watch this, is to be satisfied that you had one drink of the divine influencer at salvation or a couple years ago and to be satisfied. Jesus, here's what he said in John 15, 26. He said, but when the helper comes, <laughs> I wouldn't have a chance to be here today if it wasn't for the helper. I unashamedly say Jesus was not enough for me. And there's millions of testimonies of brothers and sisters out there and people still today that they love Jesus. And they've met Jesus, but their life is still in shambles. I read a sweet, two sweet sisters' testimonies this week. Just crying, thank you. How many other people are like me that grew up and knew Jesus, but without the helper? Life as a follower of Jesus can suck. Jesus said, when the helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Watch this. The invisible influencer, the helper, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will testify of him. To despise prophecy, to quench the Holy Spirit's ministry, is to stop Jesus being testified of more and more to people. The question is, how, Jesus, will the Spirit testify of you? Well, watch, let Scripture answer the question for us. Hebrews 2, 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Did you see it? How does the helper of the Holy Spirit bear witness to Jesus? Through signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. So watch this. To despise or quench the gifts of the Spirit or prophecy or the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to quench and resist Jesus being testified to. Why is this important? Because Proverbs 14, 25 says, A true witness delivers souls. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually delivers souls. It, we can talk a lot of Bible. We can talk a lot of things to people and they can hear it and never get it. They can hear it and never experience it. But the true witness of the Holy Spirit actually delivers souls. It lifts burdens. The Holy Spirit heals hurts. He removes shame. He blasts guilt. He raises up people from ashes and He sets them in the high places of the Spirit that God has made available.
So let me conclude talking about diversities of charisma, ministries, and manifestations. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Let me break it down for you. Gifts, there's the Greek word charisma. So what he's saying is, is charisma gifts are aspects of the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said they testify of me. You know why some are fearful and quench the Spirit? Because they still think Jesus is like them. And we're uncomfortable with aspects in other people. Same with God. That's not like aspects of ourselves. I see a lot of that in our culture, by the way. We're fearful of people who are different than us. Who think different than us. Who grew up different than us. And some of us think Jesus is like us. And because of that lie that we're believing, that's why we quench and resist the ministry of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who actually testifies of Jesus. And how does He do it? Through His gifts. Through signs and wonders. See, listen, Jesus ain't like us. He's divine. He's supernatural. Listen, when you go through the list in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the word of wisdom. Watch this. All gifts are aspects of the, charisma gifts are aspects of the person of Jesus Christ. He is our wisdom. In Him is all knowledge. He is the author and finisher of our faith, gift of faith. He is our healer. He's the one who works dunamis, power for miracles. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. He is the all-seeing word of God that divides soul and spirit, even the joints and marrow thoughts and intents of the heart, discerning of spirits. He is the one who speaks every language, gift of tongues. Watch this, then you go through Romans 12 list. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, Paul talks more about charisma, same Greek word, charisma gifts there. He mentions prophecy, he mentions ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. Now watch this. All charisma gifts are aspects of the person of Jesus Christ. He is the word of prophecy made flesh. He is the great servant. He is the great rabbi and teacher. He is the encouraging friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who gives his life for the world. He is the one that became poor that we might become rich. He is the forerunner who has went before us. He is the merciful high priest. All the charisma gifts are aspects of who Jesus Christ is. But then there's Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. This is the Greek word doma, D-O-M-I. These are doma gifts. And they're all aspects of who Jesus are. And that's why Jesus gives these persons to the body of Christ. Watch this. Apostle. Jesus is the one sent from God the Father. Because that's what apostle means, sent one. Prophet. He is the fulfillment of all the law of prophets. Evangelist, he is the friend of sinners. Pastor, he is the good and chief shepherd. Teacher, he is the great rabbi. So here it is, watch this. Jesus gives aspects of himself by the Holy Spirit to his followers individually that enables them to supernaturally manifest a characteristic of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Jesus gives aspects of himself by the Holy Spirit to His followers individually that enables them to supernaturally manifest a characteristic of Christ. And here's the question. Why? 
You ready for the answer? To help accelerate the developing and maturing of that aspect of Him and the rest of believers. I'll say it again. Why does He give aspects of Himself? Gifts of the Spirit? Doma gifts, charisma gifts? To help accelerate the developing and maturing of that aspect of Him and the rest of His body. Now let me explain it this way. We're all called to be conformed to the image of Jesus. If all the gifts and ministries are aspects of Jesus, then that is God supernaturally providing the helper to help accelerate us being conformed to that aspect of Jesus. So for instance, one of the gifts in Romans 12 is the gift of mercy. You believe a characteristic of Jesus is that He's merciful? Watch this. So all can be merciful because we're all called to be conformed to the image of Jesus who's merciful, though all do not have the gift of mercy. But the one with the gift of mercy supernaturally is able to manifest Jesus' mercy to help develop mercy in the rest of us. Watch this. I'm going to take you through the list real quick. And as I do, the band can come. All can give, though all do not have the gift of giving. All can prophesy and not all have the gift of prophecy. All can lead and influence others, though all do not have the gift of leadership. All can serve, though all do not have the gift of serving. All can teach, though all do not have the gift of teaching. All can live as sent ones on mission, though all cannot be apostles. All can evangelize and share their faith, though all cannot be evangelists. All can prophesy, even though all cannot be prophets. All can be discerning, though all do not have the gift of discerning of the spirits. All can have knowledge, though all do not have the gift of the word of knowledge. All can have faith, though all do not have the gift of faith. All can learn to work dunamis, power for miracles, though all do not have the gift of working of miracles. So God gives gifts to accelerate the development of that aspect of Christ in the rest of us. In the rest of us. But the question is, are we quenching the ministry of the Spirit? Because if we quench the ministry of the Spirit, being conformed to the image of Jesus, and being light and salt in the community around us, will be hindered and slower. The question is, are we thirsty? For the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because to be thirsty for the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be thirsty for God's sufficiency to empower us and to accelerate us being conformed to the image of Jesus and manifesting Jesus in many ways to many people. Lastly, do you believe Jesus is our pattern? Do you believe Jesus? Jesus is the firstborn among many sons and daughters. Because He is the prototype, the divine design of discipleship. He is the blueprint that all the rest of us are to be conformed to the image. Jesus Christ, the firstborn son, then watch this. Because what did Jesus the pattern demonstrate? He was born of the Spirit. Then He grew in wisdom and in favor with God and men. That's the walk. By the way, a little relevant brief interruption to this program and announcement. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 says, 
We want to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. Here's a little insight how. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Have mercy and truth upon your heart. What I see right now, relevant, is we all are more inclined to one of those aspects. Some of us are more inclined to the truth aspect. So when it comes to hot topics, all we want to do is interject truth. Some of us are more inclined to be merciful. So when it comes to hot topics, all we want to do is take the side of mercy. Listen to me. That's not how you increase in the biblical walk of the Spirit. And God's favor is you have to have mercy and truth. It's mercy and truth. It's not either or. It's both and, friends. It's being merciful and yet still being truthful. It's being truthful and yet still being merciful and empathetic. So watch this. He grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. Then, in Luke 3, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Then it says in Luke 4.1, he was led by the Spirit. And then in Luke 4.14, he had the power of the Spirit. Now watch how Jesus interprets this. Luke 4.17. After Scripture says the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that he was filled with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit, and had the power of the Spirit, in Luke 4.17, Jesus goes into the synagogue. He asks for the scroll of Isaiah. It's handed to him. And he, when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And he said in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody say, upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. From birth, Jesus, was the Spirit of the Lord upon you? No. That's not the pattern of Scripture. And the pattern that Jesus modeled. He was born of the Spirit from birth. But Jesus, only after, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, did he say, then the Holy Spirit had came upon him for this. The witness. The witness. Signs and wonders and the gifts of the Spirit and manifestations of the Spirit and the power of God. And that's why even Dr. Luke in Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When did God anoint him? When did the Holy Spirit come upon him? It wasn't until around the age of 30 years of age. He was born of the Spirit. He grew in wisdom and favor with God and men. And yet it wasn't until 30 that the Holy Spirit came upon him. So that he didn't just have the walk. He now had the witness. The supernatural witness. Here's the pattern for you and I. The difference is you and I weren't born of the Spirit. We were born of natural means. God's biology and God's science. And sin has affected all of us. We were by nature children of wrath. So for us... What Jesus from the beginning was, born of the Spirit, doesn't happen for us until we respond correctly to the gospel of God and the person of Jesus and we get regenerated. It's Titus chapter 3, 5. It's what the Bible and Jesus talks about being born again by the Spirit. Jesus was born of the Spirit from birth. We have to be born again. We have to be regenerated. Then we have to experience the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's being renewed in God's wisdom and favor and God's will. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Now watch this. You can be regenerated. You can have the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But you can still be like Jesus at age 28. And something of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is still available. The question are, are you quenching? Are you still thirsty? Are you satisfied? Because you can have the Holy Spirit poured upon you. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit like we saw in Ephesians 5 and 18. You can then be led by the Spirit, Romans 8, 14, and then you can have the power of the Spirit operating in your life. The question for you and I is in areas of life and what is the pressing needs of your life and on ground of all the issues and the affairs of life, what are you trying to build upon? The self-sufficiency or the Spirit's sufficiency? Because God, through the finished work of Jesus on the ground of His blood, on the ground of Jesus as a righteousness, has made it available for now a supernatural empowerment of the ministry of the Holy Spirit can come upon any and every area of our life to experience God's will in that area. But the question is, what will you build upon and build with? Your sufficiency or the Spirit's sufficiency? I want to tell you, if you want Jesus to truly be glorified in your life, then we have to transition from our own sufficiency to the Spirit's sufficiency. That will enhance and empower our walk and our witness. Because you remember what Paul said in our text? Listen, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The more of the ministry of the Spirit you have is not going to make your life worse when it comes to Jesus being glorified. Now, there comes some persecution and rejection because I got family members or friends who don't believe in the pattern, and that's okay. All throughout Scripture, religious rejected because they wanted to build on self-sufficiency and control. But if I quench the Spirit, if I resist the ministry of the Spirit, then I'm actually resisting Jesus being manifested more. Him being testified to less. So don't quench the Spirit. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty for the Holy Spirit's ministry. Look to the, Jesus as our pattern. That God has more. I want to end with that question on the card at the end. It says, what and where? is the fruit that the Holy Spirit has descended upon you. Did you know Jesus had fruit that He pointed to when He asked? When John the Baptist asked, Are you the one? And God had told John the Baptist, The one you see the Spirit come upon and remain, that's how you know it's the Messiah. It's He that will be able to baptize others with the Holy Spirit. John, you're able to baptize people in water, but only Jesus, the one you see the Spirit descend upon and remain. How did we know the Spirit remained upon Jesus? When the disciples of John came to Jesus, he said, you go tell him, the lame are still walking. Blind eyes are still being opened. He pointed to the supernatural witness of what was taking place through his life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.